when asked what he would do if he knew the world was going to end tomorrow, Martin Luther, the 16th century father of the Reformation, allegedly said, I would plant an apple tree. I can think of no better image to begin the season of Advent, a time in the life of the church when we begin by thinking about the end, than of that old German firebrand bent down in the dirt, planting a tree while the dark clouds of apocalypse gather on the horizon. When the enemy was at the gates of Jerusalem, at the gates of the city, Jeremiah the prophet bought a field. In his own name, he went to the equivalent of the courthouse and he had a deed drawn up and he signed it and placed it in an earthenware jar. It seemed an insane thing to do when everyone could see that the fall of the city was inevitable. But Jeremiah saw beyond just the inevitable. He saw a new day beyond that dark day. And so he publicly enacted in the most solemn way he could, the most symbolic way he could, his belief that the way things are is not the way things are always going to be. And even more importantly, he acted in the present day as if that new day were already a reality. He bought a field while the enemy was at the gate. In today's text, Jeremiah speaks of that coming day that prompted him to buy that field. A coming day when the failures of kings like the current king Zedekiah, Zedekiah whose name means righteousness, will be a distant memory. And when God's own righteousness, Yahweh Zedekiah, in the Hebrew literally, the Lord is our righteousness, will reign forever and ever. He buys a field when the land is about to be overrun, not because he believes in the people's power to keep promises, but because of God's promises and the belief that God is faithful to God's promises. We sometimes find it hard to keep promises, don't we? Mom comes home from work, already dreading the tasks that await her at home, cooking the meal, washing the clothes, tending to the children as a single parent. She is met at the door by her son and daughter, dressed in old clothes, jumping around with excitement. What's this, she asks, trying to hide her fatigue. We're supposed to go to the tree farm and get our tree, don't you remember? She didn't remember. It's so late and mommy's tired, she says. Let's do it another day. We're not always good at promises. A couple comes in to talk. Their marriage is at the point of breaking. She says he's not the same person she married. He says she isn't a piece of cake either. At some point, he says, you know, it seems like every time we are thoughtless, or forgetful every time we make promises and break them get out of marriage and now it's about to crumble 
because we are not very good at keeping our word. I remember listening to my family talk about my great-grandfather, Joyner, who wandered all over North Alabama, it was said, during the Great Depression, buying and selling, and never signed a contract or a document of any kind because he was known to be as good as his handshake. And he taught his children to follow up on their commitments to return phone calls to always say please and thank you, the values of covenant living. It often feels like those days are far from us. Jeremiah knows this. He witnesses one king after another break covenant with the people. And now, sitting in exile, paying the ultimate price for their forgetfulness, the people languish because they are not very good at keeping promises. And Jeremiah looks out over the landscape of all of those broken promises and knows that God is faithful, even if we are not. At some point, on the other side of exile, Jeremiah began preaching that God would not forget God's promises, that God's day of peace and justice would come in spite of the failure of the kings, in spite of the exile. Deep down in the valley, the prophet called the people to look up. The dead stump of Judah would see a righteous branch emerge. One who would lead the people to the kingdom of God. God will remember the covenant. So Advent is not about our ability to keep promises. It's about God's ability to remember the covenant and to be faithful to that everlasting covenant even when we are not always faithful. It's a season when we remember that the times are not in our hands and the kingdom does not come by our work, our effort. Of course, this is much easier said than done, much easier preached than lived. Advent is also a time of year when we can be at our busiest, frantically trying to create the perfect season, believing that if we can find that one unforgettable gift or host that party to beat all parties, or if we can just solve all the problems that exist in our families and in ourselves, then all will be well. The kingdom will come. And this year... Advent comes to us with the pandemic that can still, as we learned just recently, can still alter our plans at this late date, can still stoke our fears, can still sink our markets, can still dull our hope. So it's good for us to remember once again that Advent is not about us, about our successes and failures. It's always been about God's faithfulness, the deep trust that is faith that God will do what God promises. The days are surely coming, says Jeremiah, and we still, this Advent, make that proclamation. The days are surely coming. Several years ago, 
I could not get this sermon for this particular Sunday where I wanted it. I have a lot of expectations for the first Sunday of Advent, and I suspect many of you do as well. And I wanted the sermon to live up to the magnitude of the day. I mean, look around. The walls are preaching this morning. I have to at least live up to that. But it was a full week that year in many ways, and every time I sat down to write, it just wasn't there. So I left for Memphis. In those days, uh, we would always go to Memphis for the St. Jude uh, Half Marathon. I went on that Friday with the sermon incomplete and unsatisfactory. And the whole time I was there in Memphis, I was feeling anxious about Sunday. We stayed with our good friend Mark Brown, whom many of you have met, a chaplain at St. Jude. And during supper, uh, Mark said, well, tomorrow when the race is over, why don't you stay and watch the SEC championship? And I really did want to watch that championship because, well, you know why. But I said, we probably need to get on back, at which point my daughter Chandler threw me under the bus. She said, yeah, Dad still has to get his sermon ready. And I wanted to say something like, you know, she's talking about Christmas Eve sermon. I've worked really way ahead, but I knew I had been found out. So the next morning, Saturday morning, early, I was out there on the streets of Memphis running a race, looking all around me, trying to figure out what to say on Sunday. And about halfway through the race, this man ran by me. He must have weighed 250 pounds. He did not look like what you would imagine a runner to look like. He had a heavy beard and a camo hat and not very stylish or comfortable looking running gear, but he was running fast, much faster than me. He was wearing a poster on his back, full size and laminated. And on it were nine photographs of the person I assumed was his son. Most of those photographs were solo, some were with family, and at the top, his name, the date he was born, and the day he died, with a scripture passage below, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. There was the perfect Advent sermon running right there in Memphis, Tennessee. He could have been Jeremiah, you know, standing in the exile of his people, the enemy at the gate. He could have been Martin Luther planting a tree in the apocalypse. He could have been that tired mother facing the burden of her disappointed children. Could have been that couple about to break apart on the rocks of failed promises. All of them, all of us, we stand together on this first Sunday of Advent, not under our own power, but under the power of our God. God remembers. God keeps the covenant always. The Lord is our righteousness, said Jeremiah. Not us, not any political party, not any human figure. The Lord is our righteousness. 
Not anything we can do or say or be. The Lord is our righteousness. I know I saw that sermon that day because I was looking for that sermon. And that probably is the biggest sin of Advent. Not paying attention. I think the evidence of God's faithfulness is always around us all the time. And this morning, another sign for us at First Pres, a baptism happening on the first Sunday of Advent at the 11 o'clock service. I can't think really of a better Sunday, at least right now, for a baptism to take place. A sign that we, before we can even know how to speak love or love or make promises or keep them, God is making a promise over us. Baptism is like buying a field. It's like planting a tree. It's a sign of God's faithfulness and our trust in God's covenant. It's a sign that our trust transcends every other thing that we can put our trust in. Our trust in God. The promises of Advent are what empowers a parent to stand with their infant child over these waters. They are what empower a father through tears of grief to lace up his shoes and hit the pavement, bearing the words of promise on his back. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The days are surely coming. Let us all with one heart cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.